And welcome to Season 2, Episode 32 of Logicast, the AWS newscast brought to you by Logicata. I'm Carl Robinson, CEO and co-founder of Logicata, and I'm joined today by my colleague, uh, John Goodall. Um, how are you doing today, John? You're you're trying. You're trying very hard. I noticed you called it a newscast this time. That's new. I, I thought I uh, didn't have my teeth in properly and we were going down the, the nude podcast again. Uh, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. This, this is no end of amusement, this is. This is. For new listeners, you're not going to get it, but the running joke is just incredibly funny at this point. Well, normally, I, uh, John got a bit fed up of me introducing him, uh, saying that he was on the podcast as always. So every week now, I'm trying to think of an alternative to saying as always, and it usually just comes out as a pregnant pause. So anyway, uh, I'm joined as always by my colleague, John Goodall. But also today, we have a very special guest uh, from the AWS Community Builder Program, uh, Manoj Lingala. So uh, Manoj, welcome to the podcast. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, hey, hey guys. Uh, I am Manoj. Uh, I'm, uh, you know, uh, uh, working from, uh, you know, Australia. Uh, so I've been uh, uh, been a developer and, uh, you know, uh, hardcore backend developer from ages like uh, over a decade ago. Uh, recently, I've uh, uh, been uh, promoted, like I've been joined a lead engineer role for one of the, uh, you know, big uh, US uh, superannuation company. So uh, it's exciting. Yeah. Excellent. And uh, you have the uh, the dubious honor of being our first Australian guest, uh, Australia-based oh. guest, Manoj. So, uh, oh. <laughs> yeah, we've been uh, doing our preamble. We were working out the time differences and the season differences. So John and I are just getting our day started. Your day is coming to a close. John and I are sat yeah. here in T-shirts and shorts, and we had a little bit of an audio issue with Manoj's fan heater because uh, he's feeling <laughs> a little bit cold in Australia. So, uh, yeah, we're definitely uh, poles apart. Um, uh, yeah, in terms of yeah, it's spring. It's spring in here, but uh, it's because of uh, night. It's it's a cold kick then, so I have to, you know, run the heater. Obviously, <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, just, I'm pretty said... sure Australian spring is still pretty warm for a Brit. <laughs> yeah. That being said, I have um, some sort of Australian distant family and whatever. And whenever they come over here in summer, if we get a heat wave, they're just like, "Oh Jesus, I didn't know how hot this was," and they're really struggling. So, you know, it's, it's a thing. It's a whole social media thing of, of people from properly hot countries, America, Australia, those kinds of places that don't have wet heat that isn't humid, getting to the UK in a heat wave of 32 degrees and just go, they weren't kidding. This is horrible. Yeah. During, during summers, it, it would be, uh, you know, uh, 30 plus or 40 plus sometimes in Australia. So we are, uh, you know, get habituated to it as well yeah well uh interesting chat about the weather guys but uh, as the regular listeners will know we're not here to talk about the weather uh, we are here to yeah. talk about aws <laughs> news um so uh, once a week um i collate a list of aws news articles in my weekly aws news roundup newsletter and then John and I pick a subset of those articles that we would love to talk about to you on the podcast so we have of course got such a selections of articles this week, uh, which we've all been reading over the weekend. And uh, the first one uh, is a new feature announcement on the AWS website about AWS Web Application Firewall, uh, and specifically now that AWS WAF Bot Control now protects against distributed proxy-based attacks. So, John, what can you tell us about this one? 
Um, it's an interesting one. It's more MLification, I think, is what's going on. So it was it previously existed. So it's 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 a a new feature within a feature, if you like. The proxy distributed proxy is the new bit. Targeted bots was just you know sophisticated bots that have ways of evading normal bot detection. Um, and we've seen this. It's just kind of there. You just turn on the bot protection rule on WAF, and we've seen it on client accounts because you can see it in um, in the graph. You can see bot control blocking, blocking, blocking. So you can see it doing its job. This, I think, is just making that a bit smarter so that um, if, if folk are using proxies such as... Um, I mean, any proxy, there's, there's stories of botnets using things like um, printers and connected speakers and all those sorts of things. So I think this is just a way of making that process a bit smarter to pick up on things that it hasn't already seen using ML, is what I think this is. So MLification, is that a term you're going to use quite a lot? Because immediately it gave me a new idea for a parody song, just to add to my <laughs> list of parody songs that I'd like to write. Um, <laughs> Oh no, no. Um, I, I, I don't think I've invented that term. I think MLification is a thing. Like ification is a thing of anything. Um, there's some really quite rude ones as well, which I'm not going to repeat on here. But I don't think I've coined that. Okay, but it, it reminded me of Californication, which is, mm. uh, is that Chili Peppers. Uh, yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, let's uh, let's add that to the list of parody songs that we'd like to write when we uh, when we get the inspiration. So long as there's no <laughs> so, dancing yeah. elves. <laughs> What, so what about you, Manoj? Is this uh, is AWS WAF in, in your world? Uh, yeah, yeah. Pretty uh, obviously, like, uh, I'm a, uh, you know, uh, a lead engineer, right? So I design a lot of microservices uh, architecture-oriented projects where obviously I came across this WAF rules, uh, which we play played across so 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 basically uh, the the existing WAF uh, rules which are uh, targeting the uh, targeting rules which are working perfectly fine uh, it it has it, its own algorithms to you know identify what uh, bot type is what classification mm -hmm. is either it's a spam or uh, you know web scraper or a fake social media uh, bot it's all been uh, properly identified and uh, you know uh, the the target rules what we currently defined would uh, you know uh, uh, you know send a, a javascript uh, to as a challenge to it would actually have to complete a you know capture challenge to prove uh, it's a uh, you know a, a human or a, a bot right so that's how the the current functionality works and it's how uh, you know the request would allow or declined accordingly by uh, the targets what we have defined the the main issue as uh, you guys were uh, uh, highlighting are about the proxy servers uh, now the intruders are becoming smart and smart and uh, you know they they are using the proxy servers to hide the identity and uh, you know uh, 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 and its ip addresses so they actually how how they are working is uh, behind the scenes they they take control of a personal computer of a uh, individual so how they take a control it's a different aspect of the discussion but once they got the you know uh, control of a system then what they do is uh, you know they they transform the computer into a bot and they switch them uh, in a distributed way and attacks it so what it happens is the the target rules what we defined in the wolf uh, section which would avoid uh, the ip addresses identification of ip addresses because it's been scattered geographically so that's how they are bypassing the whatever the the ip reputation rules and the rate limiting things uh, coming to a specific ip address that's how they are bypassing it so 
it's it's good that uh, AWS uh, did not uh, did not notified what uh, ML's uh, uh, languages algorithms they are using it because again uh, they might do a reverse engineering hack through that so that's a good thing and uh, you know uh, which which uh, because of uh, aws has a lot stack of uh, uh, you know log information they know the trends identifying what connections are allowed what connections are uh, you know uh, you know rejected so they have a good uh, trends to identify and uh, you know label accordingly so this is a highest likelihood of a bot injection or this is a medium or this is a low one so accordingly we can take an action on it so it's it's pretty pretty good approach of uh, you know uh, incorporating ml algorithms into it uh, and identifying the trends and likelihood of that uh, uh, you know bot behaviors and uh, and one good thing is again uh, you know it's a free of cost so there is no additional cost which is incurred on it so that's a, a good win uh, for who are all uh, you know using this feature uh, yeah absolutely we're going to talk about cost later as we often do on the podcast but uh, anything okay. else you can yeah. do to protect yourself for free uh, has, <laughs> uh, has got to be a, a win-win for all parties and um, yeah. i know i know we're not really talking about chatbots here we're talking about other types of bots but uh, i, I yeah. I have found yeah. myself in situations where I've had to prove that I'm not a bot. Um, you know, when, when when responding to queries on our website, etc. Um, it's, it's quite hard these days to figure out, you know, whether you're talking to a human or not. And uh, yeah, I, I do find myself occasionally having to prove that I am a human and not. So a bot. does that mean that you'd fail the Turing test? <laughs> I don't know. What is the tell? Enlighten me, John, about the Turing test. The, the Turing test is a thought experiment um, posited by Alan Turing, the famed um, yeah, yeah. computer scientist of, of World War Two. And um, <clears throat> the idea is in a vacuum, so you can't see it by asking um, an AI questions and listening to its responses. Could it convince a human that it's a human? Right. So I don't think I've failed it yet, but I've been worried at times that I might be failing it. So uh, I, I'm trying to desperately trying to convince a human via the power of, uh, you know, typing text that I, I am actually another human. But maybe, maybe I wasn't even talking to a human. Who knows? Perhaps I was talking to a bot. Ugh. There's an existential debate, but uh, anyway, yeah. we're, not here. we're not here to talk about that, really, are we? So uh, anyway, let, let's, you let's don't want an to... existential crisis on the podcast. No, I don't want to have an existential. <laughs> I'm, I'm worried where this is going, so I think I need to move swiftly <laughs> on to the next article. So uh, yeah, um, so uh, the next article um, uh, is all about. It's, it's from the AWS community, actually, uh, from Seth Elliott, uh, fellow member of the AWS community, um, and this one is entitled uh, "Any Day Can Be Prime Day." How Amazon.com Search uses chaos engineering to handle over 84,000 requests per second. So that's a big title, lots to unpack in this article. We've spoken a bit about chaos engineering on the podcast before. I don't think we've spoken about Prime Day, uh, but every year Prime Day does spawn a whole series of uh, blog posts, um, usually uh, starting with our man, uh, and his name is going to escape me now. So, oh, Jeff. Yeah, Jeff Barr Jeff. Uh, always writes a, a, a big um, blog post about. Um, how Amazon Web Services has kind of supported Prime Day, the resources consumed by Prime Day, etc. Um, our friend, um, my, my my brain is just not working this morning. Costman does parody no, songs. Well, Corey Quinn. Corey Quinn, of course. How could I forget Corey Quinn's name? Corey Quinn writes blog. I should have to about... tag him because yeah, he's a community yeah. builder as well, yeah. and tell him you forgot. So, 
So we're mentioning Corey Quinn on the podcast. Shameless mention of Corey Quinn. So we can tag him and maybe get some more listeners. But no, Corey Quinn uh, usually writes a post about how much it might have cost to run Prime Day on AWS, etc. But Prime Day is absolutely huge. You know, it's Amazon. I think it happens more than once a year now, but it's the big sale that happens on Amazon.com when you can buy stuff even cheaper than normal. Um, so, uh, of course, they have a huge spike in uh, traffic and search, um, as it mentions here, over... 84,000 search requests per second, which for most of us is completely mind-boggling and not something we'll ever have to deal with. Um, but uh, yeah, this article is all about how, how, uh, how um, Amazon are using chaos engineering techniques um, to help uh, ensure that the um, the site stays live during those huge spikes of traffic. So, um, Manoj, I know you were uh, you were keen to talk about this one uh, because this uh, you know dovetails very nicely into your world. So, w- what are your thoughts on on this? So yeah, that article mentions uh, a lot of other aspects like uh, DevOps and how how they operate the things like uh, two pizza team model. So what it actually captivates me, it's how they have detailed out Amazon, uh, how they are orchestrating, uh, you know, how they are making use of the AWS fault injection simulator as a service. So so those are the captivating things. Uh, I wanted to uh, you know uh, uh, discuss that how we can leverage it. So in this in this microservices world, when we when we uh, design the application, so there there will be many many uh, services which uh, talks and uh, there is an eventual consistency approach what we follow for the development. So obviously there is a latencies between your read models and write models, right? So in order to in order to make a system resilient enough to to make it chaotic enough uh, to understand chaotic in a sense in a good way we are uh, making it chaos like you know uh, testing it and uh, ensuring it uh, you know the production system is uh, you know not uh, breakable or, or in case if it is breaks what are the uh, you know other approaches what we can follow right so in order to achieve that uh, traditionally we have to write uh, a new, so how i handled was like implementing a new uh, services where I have to, you know, uh, touch base the core, mimic the, uh, you know, core uh, functionalities and, uh, you know, uh, disturb the events and, uh, and, uh, you know, make the system, you know, work on a load and see how it operates. It's a pretty complicated way of uh, implementation. And, uh, you know, there are different lot of tools and uh, things which which are required to, you know, uh, make it happen. So, so the good thing is like, with a AWS fault injector simulator, it's a managed service by AWS. So they, they are actually providing, uh, uh, you know, uh, default, uh, you know, uh, templates uh, where we can play around and do the experiments. Like we can configure what are the AWS services which are required. So let's say for the discussion purpose, we want a EC2 or a containers or whatever, we can configure that. And on the load, how it happens, how it is, uh, you know, taking up the load and uh, what are all the actions which we have to take and uh, are there any stop conditions which are required and where this lock should go? So all these things can be defined in that experimented JSON file. And you can plug and play that and run that and see how, how it, uh, you know, system is uh, uh, ha- working on a load and, uh, uh, you know, uh, withstands the, you know, turbulence conditions, uh, you know, in the production load. So that is one of the uh, uh, interesting uh, thing which I felt, uh, you know, uh, to be discussed to the wider audiences. Uh, to introduce this uh, 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 kind of a not new feature, it's I think it came up in 2020 or 2021, but most of the people not aware of, uh, you know, this uh, injection simulator. Uh, yeah. I liked the concept of the and on cord. Mm-hmm. 
the big red button. Stop! My chaos experiment is breaking my app. Stop <laughs> now! Just pr press the big red button. Um, and uh, yeah, I also like the. Uh, it, it explains something to me uh, as well. This article as to why sometimes Amazon search results appear a little bit different. Yeah. Um, so yeah. That so so that's display uh, a kind of a yeah a minimum. Yeah. Uh, you know. So that's that's a different uh, like it's a it's a other uh, design approach uh, of uh, you know the gra graceful degradation uh, design approach. So yeah. if if something uh, happened on a load, uh, you know how how the systems continue to operate. If something a component or a service failed, that failing uh, can be a different altogether different uh, uh, concept. Like it could be a rate limiting or it could be circuit breaker issues with the downstream systems. That's a different topic. But if something happened on the on the integration point or a component, if that fails, what is a minimum uh, reduced functionality which we can show gracefully? So, so that's what uh, that uh, uh, design approach talks about. Uh, so that is one of the other feature of this, uh, uh, you know, chaotic engineering or, uh, yeah. Graceful degradation. I like the sound of that. I like to think that's how I'm aging. Yeah. Mm, you're definitely degrading. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Whether it's graceful or not, I don't know. But uh, yeah. What, what about you, John? What are, you, what are your thoughts on this one? I mean, we've spoken, we've about, spoken about this before. Yeah, but... we've spoken about FIS before, but a little while ago now, um, when they mm. were in a, integrating a new feature or some such. Um, it's, it's definitely an interesting one. I mean, it does talk a lot about undifferentiated heavy lifting, which is the thing that any of us generally is keen of getting rid of for customers. Um, but it, it, it feels like that there's a team that's built some tooling on top of the tooling that's then being used to reduce the, head, the lifting. Um, but, yeah, no, generally very interesting. And I didn't actually know that about search either. So that's cool. Um, good to know. Which part you didn't know? The, the, the graceful, graceful degradation, degradation yeah. part. I, I knew uh, that that yeah. was a thing, but I didn't know that AWS did it. So, yeah, mm. or Amazon.com, mm. I suppose, did it. Uh, but, yeah, interesting. Very interesting. And, and this coyote, uh, uh, this engineering is got famous by this, uh, uh, you know, uh, Netflix architecture. Uh, when it uh, when it came up, like uh, Coyos uh, Monkey uh, uh, testing it, uh, uh, the load on the servers, like Coyotic Monkey. Uh, so that that's what it term got, uh, you know, fancier and uh, yeah, uh, got more popularity. So yeah, that's yeah, where people got... went. Yeah. They've got three animals now, I think. There's the monkey, the gorilla, and the snail, which is just brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes, I do remember yeah. us talking about all of these various... Uh, Chaos animals. Yeah. Fauna uh, on, on, a, on a previous episode. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I've been thinking about doing my own chaos engineering experiment, actually, uh, because uh, my uh, my stepdaughter has asked if she can have an 18th birthday house party in the house. So uh, I need to be a chaos monkey going around seeing what things people can break in my house before the uh, party takes place. <laughs> I know it's not quite the same, but uh, maybe I have to write an app for it, um, you know. <laughs> Cool. So uh, let's move on from uh, chaos engineering and uh, talk a little bit about, I don't know if this is a sad day or if it's just progress, really. But uh, recently, you may have seen in the news, uh, it's got a lot of coverage, but uh, AWS has 
shut down its first generation computer network infrastructure known as EC2 Classic. So um, really one of the very early uh, services. I think S3 was the first service. Oh, no, it wasn't. SQS. It was, uh, S uh, SQS. Uh, but S3 was uh, came before uh, EC2, I believe. But uh, the first generation of uh, the Elastic Compute Cloud has recently been shut down uh, after 16 years of loyal service. So, um, yeah, do you want to read the obituary, John? I mean, it's a bit long for an obituary. It's not going to say, you know, it was born here <laughs> and lived there and married so-and-so. Um, it's an interesting one. I didn't think we couldn't not talk about this one because it's, it's such a high-profile kind of item. Um, EC2 Classic, it was one of the first services, and it's almost certainly the first IaaS service just anywhere, uh, so it's incredibly key, very pivotal. But it wasn't the VPCs and logical isolated networks that we know today. You were on a flat bit of hardware shared with everybody else. Yeah, okay, you had security groups, so you could control traffic in and out, but you were not completely isolated. It's very interesting the way they've done this. I don't interesting is probably the wrong word. This is very much on on uh, brand for AWS, where they announced that they were going to do it two years ago, and that was seven years seven years after they'd um, deprecated it properly with VPCs for everybody. So it had been deprecated for a very long time, and you had to really work hard to spin up new EC2 classics. And I think post-2013 or 14, you couldn't at all anyway. So it was only pre-existing folk that were still on the kit. And they announced it two years ago, and it's finally done. One of the things that the article does touch on um, that our friend Jeff was quite proud of was, um, was it Jeff? Was it Werner? 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 Uh, one of the two of them um, was basically saying that they didn't force anyone out. Like everybody was off before it got shut down. Right? There was no last minute get out the door type run that you can see with things like services being shut down and data centers being migrated and all the rest of it. There's this mad dash to the finish and this doesn't appear to have happened. It was, we are going to shut it down everybody leave. Here's how you do it. We'll support you and we'll we'll hold your hand all the way and all the rest of it. And they very much seem to have to have done that. And now everybody's out and they've turned it off. And uh, long may those servers rest because they probably worked very hard. <laughs> yeah. Uh, make space for the next generation of uh, AI chips uh, <laughs> to, to be wheeled in. But uh, any thoughts on this one, Manoj? Uh, not much opinionated one on this, but I, I say it's good that it's been shut down. <laughs> it's a, <laughs> yeah. You didn't have to move any instances off yourself? Uh, no, because uh, uh, it's all microservices. Uh, the business's targets on the servers, serverless architecture. So, so yeah. there is uh, uh, less... Uh, People they use EC2s in in like in my experiences, uh, you know, only for the VMs for the dev purposes, because people don't yeah. want to get into the complexity overheads of uh, you know operationals and uh, network and whatever uh, you know, complexity comes with the storage volumes as well. Uh, on and off it goes and comes up. So yeah, it, it's a bit uh, chaotic for me. <laughs> yeah, with EC2s. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's nice that you are able to work in that cloud-native paradigm. Yeah. yeah don't what... get me wrong. I'm a full serverless fanboy, right? Within the community builder program, I'm in the serverless category. But I think everybody probably got their start on servers, so I'm just a little bit nostalgic for them, um, which is a weird <laughs> thing to be nostalgic for. But, like, okay. Yeah. It, yeah. 
They're still there, though. They're still there, those servers. <laughs> <laughs> you just don't have to do anything with them. Well, yeah, quite. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, well, let's, let's move on then. Uh, the last couple of articles that we've selected this week uh, are all around cost. Um, so the first one's an article on information age, uh, key ways to save on AWS costs. Um, so a lot of this is just kind of, repeating things that we already know but uh, you know there's a huge amount of uh, noise about this in the press at the moment because you know it has been identified as a major priority for many organizations even this morning we were talking uh, about one of our own managed services customers who's getting a lot of pressure from their investors to uh, to reduce cost um, so it's definitely an important discussion area um, so John was it was there anything in particular that jumped out from this article um, in terms of uh, ways to, to to reduce aws costs i mean there's nothing specific on this article and i know i've kind of picked two but one of them is is a, a slightly different slant um but i think it's always worth every so often just revisiting this topic because as you say it's in the press quite a bit and whilst we as as professionals kind of know all these things we have to assume that people don't so it's worth definitely revisiting this topic every you know couple of months or so um i mean i'm just going to list them top down realistically the key one is monitoring you you can't save money on what you can't see and you can't identify you need to know what you're running you need to know whether they're provisioned adequately or not whether you're spending more money than you should or whether you're um operating at risk because your servers are too small because you wanted to save some money and it wasn't necessarily the right place to do it because it's costing revenue so monitoring is the key one once you've got more monitoring in place, once you've got enough monitoring in place, uh, elasticity is a, is another cool one. So we talk about EC2, certainly in the previous one. The E stands for elastic. What that basically means in this context is you can flex your resources up and down to meet demand. Um, you don't have to do that automatically, but you certainly can. Things like auto-scaling grips and what have you, and that makes your life a whole hell of a lot easier because you kind of don't worry about it. You just set your tracking policies or your scaling policies to say, you know, is it sitting at X percent CPU or there Y number of requests queuing up at the load balancer or whatever, and then you can scale in and out to meet demand and save costs when, when those numbers drop. Data storage, um, again, useful because... Whilst no one storage method is appropriate for every workload and all of them are relatively cheap, like the most expensive, I think, is about 10 cents a gigabyte, which is not horrifically expensive. But when you get into terabyte and petabyte scales, those numbers can add up. So it just it, it's just a case of making sure that your data is where it's sensible to be, uh, particularly for S3 work, uh, S3 based data and workloads that can work with S3. Just use intelligent tiering. Yeah, okay, you could save a little bit more money by using Glassier and Deep Archive, but your engineering cost to get that to work is probably going to be higher than the amount of money you're going to save by not using intelligent tiering. So just use intelligent tiering. Uh, and then it's also measuring and monitoring, which is a key part of DevOps generally. Measuring, monitoring, and consistent improvement, something that we kind of preach generally given any opportunities consistent improvement so it's all fun and good doing all these things and knowing about everything but if you're not making strides to actually make your life better what are you doing uh, and then there's a couple of bits in there as well again we preach these as well spot instances are great but only if you work to support them savings plans and volume discounts again yeah love them um, and then moving to glacier it talks about storage again yeah glacier is incredibly cheap it's it's like a buck for a terabyte for a month which is just nothing but you do have to know how to use it because there's like a 12 hour wait time to get your data um yeah 
that's kind of it, really. The key thing for me, as it says at the bottom of the article, is a comprehensive approach. It, you can't just look at one thing in isolation. You can't just say, oh, I can use a savings plan. But you could have saved more money by turning off your dev servers or oh, I'm going to turn off my, my production servers. But then you've, you're not running a problem, you're not making money. So maybe a savings plan would be better in that scenario and so on. It's, it's looking at things holistically that's, that's important for me. So what I wanted to ask my knowledge is that a lot of these measures are all kind of in, on the infrastructure side of things. Yeah. But given that you're more from a software development background, my knowledge, I mean, what, what sort of pressures are there on developers these days to write more cost efficient code? I mean, is that is that a thing in your world or is it really still more down to the infrastructure guys to run it as, you know, in, in as optimized a fashion as they can or you know, is, is, is it relevant in your day-to-day -to, -day to trying to ensure yeah. that you're writing cost-efficient code? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Like, uh, we use uh, EKS and ECRs uh, uh, a lot, and we, we ensure the size of that image is pretty less. And uh, that is one of the aspects of our cost savings and also, you know, uh, the, the automated policies of uh, S3. Uh, when we have a lot of storage and uh, how, how the transformation happens from the in, uh, frequency uh, frequent access data to a you know less frequent access data so there are a bit of automated uh, uh, policies which we can uh, spin up uh, uh, through info and make it automated uh, uh, for that and the important thing uh, mostly people ignore is uh, i have written an article a couple of months ago on the optimizing db uh, dynamo db cost so usually it's, it's pretty cheap, but when you don't create the keys properly, uh, like uh, for say when you create a, a GSI keys for the better searching capabilities. So usually developers tends, tends to create a, you know, uh, uh, with all projections. So, so whatever the fields which are present in that dynamo, so projecting that everything. So which adds a lot of cost to it unknowingly. So, uh, so there are written article to how smartly we can create a GSIs and uh, you know, what are the uh, projection times, uh, projection types which we have to use explicitly? So there are uh, uh, include projection type which can be used, uh, you know, to only include the keys which are required for which are needed for the projections to be queried at later point of time. So these are the tiny bits where you know uh, developers have to be uh, cautious uh, for the cost of optimizations uh, part. Yeah. Cool. Um, I'm conscious of time. Um, okay. We've seem to be reaching the we're reaching the end of our time very quickly, and we've we've got a fifth article that we haven't touched on. So, uh, just John, was there anything specific that you wanted to pull out of this one that we haven't already covered? I mean, it's it's a bit of a rehash of the previous one, but from a FinOps kind of slant. So, the only other things it talks about is budgeting and forecasting, which is not necessarily helping you save money, but more understanding where your money is going. Um, so you set your budgets and you know when you hit your budgets and you know what the services are and, and so on. And then cloud governance, which is not so much. We, we don't see it so much in the SMB sort of space. It's much more in the, you know, X hundreds of thousands of dollars a month spend type companies. They're, they're in that kind of um, area where they need to set up things like centers of excellence and cost saving centers of excellence and dealing with governance so that you can say only people that have access to certain things can uh, spin up certain things and making sure that um, developers can't spin up large instances or make reservations of, uh, you know, like a, a three-year Elasticash reservation because then, oh, oh, because uh, you then you end up spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on something that you needed. Not really, because someone pushed the wrong button. Um, so there's definitely things that can be learnt from the second article as well. But like I say, it's, it's, uh, 
it's just a different slant on the same topic. Yeah, it's mostly mostly uh, overlapping a uh, few of the things there. Yeah. Yeah. A good bit of reinforcement never hurts. So I think there is it there's a statistic that you have to be told something 12 times before you actually <laughs> take it in, I think. So, uh, you know, we've repeated it a couple more times here. So hopefully it's going to help uh, sink in for the listeners. But uh, as I mentioned, we, we have come to the end of our time this week for season two, episode 32 of Logicast. So uh, thank you, as always, John, uh, for your insights. And uh, thank you uh, to our very special guest, uh, Manoj Lingala. Uh, we really appreciated your insights today as well. Um, so uh, thank you for listening. Um, thank you. Please do uh, like and subscribe to the podcast for new episodes every week. Uh, and of course, we will be sharing the links to the articles in the show notes if you'd like to read those articles for yourself. Uh, and we'll also be sharing uh, Manoj's social details uh, in the show notes if you'd like to follow uh, Manoj's updates as he progresses through the AWS Community Builder program. So uh, thank you for listening. We'll see you again next week. Cheers. Cheers.